and welcome to the inaugural episode of the Brightly Human podcast, which might be sporadically recorded, but hopefully will become more regular as I get more learned in the art of podcasting. The reason I decided to have this segment in my three-part imposter syndrome series that I'm launching through Substack. The reason that I decided to have this also kick off the podcast I've always wanted to record and have said for about five years that I would record is because I think that talking about something as complex and omnipresent as imposter syndrome deserves a medium that allows for the the complexity and an omnipresence of the content that we're talking about, the subject that we're talking about. So last week, I sent a newsletter discussing how everybody has imposter syndrome, and I specifically kicked off with an essay that was published, an essay of mine that was published in McSweeney's a few years ago that was a retelling of a moment when I was on tour for Trailer Trash where I'd felt too embarrassed to join the group of people that I had been touring with for dinner. And this was pretty early in my tour. The reason that I like to start off with that essay or talking about that particular time and place is because touring itself was something that required me to really delve into my imposter syndrome in a big way. And the reason being that my poetry comes out of a small press, There's there really aren't a lot of resources for touring, so I did a lot of the legwork myself and reached out to friends and perfect strangers alike in order to plan a robust tour across most of the country in order to promote the book. And I really had a lot of qualms about doing this at first. And I had a pretty stunning realization while I was trying to get up the nerve to send email after email after email to bookstores and libraries and community centers and universities and bars (laughs) and community organizers that I had this stunning realization that I think people who are socialized with more privilege in the world, so people who are socialized as male, is specifically what I was thinking, but I think this also applies to whiteness, don't necessarily have to think about this idea of imposition. Because when we talk about imposter syndrome, we're also talking about not only inauthenticity, like I discussed in my newsletter, but also this idea of being rude or taking up too much space or taking up any space at all. I think it's also part of the reason why people who are socialized as female say sorry all the time, just simply apologize for existing. So what is it to be imposing, to be rude, to be impolite? And why is it that when marginalized folks do this, when they ask for things, when they dare to make an assumption that their skill sets are wanted and welcome, that it's rude or imposing, but when folks with a lot of privilege do it, 
it's just seen as being kind of a, a you know, a go-getter. Um, and it's necessary in order to have upward mobility in whatever industry, quote unquote, that you're in. And obviously I'm talking about this from creative writing standpoint. So our concepts of industry are skewed here. I don't have an answer as to why that happens. I mean, I have, I don't have one answer. I have many, many multiplicitous answers because we're talking about an issue, not a problem, right? So we're talking about a whole system of things that contribute to this truth, this lived truth. But I do have some answers around confronting your own sense of inauthenticity, um, sense of imposition or overstaying your welcome, taking up space, being rude, or being inauthentic. And it may be one of those things, as was the case for me, that you feel shaky doing right off the bat. That you start out with this sense of false bravado in a kind of fake it till you make it sort of way. And I hate to use those kinds of expressions because they are very business sounding, but you know, there's some there's some truth to them. I think that it really does take quite a long time to wrap our heads around these complex systems and why things happen the way that they do but it takes less time to have a logistical strategy for how to deal with it as an artist and writer in the world. And that logistical strategy, at least insofar as it works for me, has been to just ask for things very kindly, very politely with a lot of, a lot of offering that comes with that, right? Not just go in, assume that somebody wants to give you something. But writing templated emails for a variety of situations in which you're asking for something. Those can be emails inquiring about touring, about um, doing a reading somewhere, about being involved or teaching a workshop or in some way sharing the skills that you have or promoting a book that you've written. But I have found that it works well just in the same way that writing submission cover letters and query letters also relies on this wisdom. So too does the art of communication when it comes to um, getting over your own imposter syndrome and getting out into the, the writing world doing, doing things. But it's good to have a sense of the place that you are inquiring what do they do what other kinds of programming have they had why is it that you want to read there have they had other people who have read there who have similar values to yours or aesthetics or community uh, community centeredness it'll be really impressive if you reach out to a bookstore and you say and you know if you've never seen a reading there, never gone to a reading, say, and you had so-and-so there, and I watched it on Zoom during X time, and it really struck me in this particularly globally expansive way that the values of said bookstore are aligned with my own. In addition, having a 
and I do recognize that I'm talking specifically about querying places, but again, this is a jumping off point for actually doing the internal work of imposter syndrome. So first the, you know, having information about the place that you're, you're soliciting. Secondly, coming in kindly, um, while talking first about what you can offer them before you ask if they can offer you something. So for example, dear so-and-so at Green Apple Books, um, I'm reaching out to you because I'm on tour with my book, such and such, which comes out on la-di-da date with X and X Press. Um, your bookstore has resonated for, with me for these particular reasons. Here are some people who have read there whose work I really enjoy. Here's how I see it lining up with larger cultural values. Then um, here is a brief, very brief synopsis of the book that I'm touring with and why I believe it'll be a good fit for your establishment. Um, in addition, I'm also open to not only doing a reading, but also being involved in programming and um, working together to cross promote the event. If you have, if this is not a local place that you are querying, you can always say, um, because they do really like to have local folks involved, you can say, I would also be really interested in reading in a lineup with local writers and would love to collaborate on that idea. Um, here's my press release. Here's my information. Sincerely, la di da da da, right? So those kinds of formulaic ways of being in the world and asking for things are a matter of of logistics, just having a plan, which I think is a good anxiety reducer, um, at least for me. And then also practice, send them out. Just like you can't get anything published without submitting it somewhere, you also can't get readings or do events or be involved in the literary community if you don't reach out. And I feel like when I was touring with Trailer Trash, which was, you know, four, three or four years ago, I don't even remember, it was a whole different world. I mean, the world was very different even two weeks ago, but it was a whole different world. And I think now there are so many more opportunities for doing events that this, this is not as strange or um, unprecedented as it once was. So those are some practical tips for battling imposter syndrome. But really the, the core of the message here is Find a plan that works for you and implement it. Find a plan that works for you and is a healthy stretch for you and implement it. And by healthy stretch, I mean that you are, if you struggle with taking up space or asking for things, that you are actively working to practice taking up space and asking for things. That you send emails out to friends asking for guidance on where to submit your work, where to ask for readings, where to be connected. And also, of course, part of that is thinking about how you talk to your own friends and the kinds of pep talks you give to them when they come to you with their imposter syndrome and what you tell them to do and then actually taking that advice yourself. I find that most people, myself very much included in this, don't take our own advice. 
So that's what I've got for you today. Just a small little missive. And I'm going to end this episode with um, a poem that really brought me a lot of joy yesterday. I'm going through a pretty big life shift at the moment. And Ross Gay's poetry has been extremely important to me during the pandemic. His Book of Delights is truly an absolute joy bringer. Um, However, yesterday I was teaching a workshop at the Virginia Public Library, virtually, and we went over this poem, uh, Opera Singer by Ross Gay, and I, I just, it really made my whole day. So I want to share it with you now. Opera Singer by Ross Gay. Today my heart is so goddamn fat with grief that I've begun hauling it in a wheelbarrow. No, it's an anvil, dragging from my neck as I swim through choppy waters, swollen with the putrid corpses of hippos, which means lurking somewhere below is the hungry snout of a croc waiting to spin me into an oblivion worse than this run-on simile, which means to say, I'm sad, and everyone knows what that means. And in my sadness, I'll walk to a cafe and not see the lights in the trees nor finger the bills in my pocket as I pass the boarded houses on the block. No, I will be slogging through the obscure country of my sadness in all its monotone flourish. And so imagine my surprise when my self-absorption gets usurped by the sound of opera streaming from an open window and the sun peeking ever so slightly from behind his shawl. And the singing is getting closer so that I can hear the delicately rolled R's like a hummingbird fluttering the tongue, which means a language more beautiful than my own and I don't recognize the song, though I'm jogging toward it and can hear the woman's breathing through the record's imperfections. And above me, two bluebirds dive and dart, and a rogue mulberry branch leaning over an abandoned lot drags itself across my face, staining it purple, and looking now like a mad warrior of glee and relief. I run down the street, and I forgot to mention the 50 or so kids running behind me, some in diapers, some barefoot, all of them winged and waving their pacifiers and training wheels and nearly trampling me, when in a doorway I see a woman in slippers and a floral house dress, blowing in the warm breeze, who is maybe 70, painting the doorway, and friends, it is not too much to say, it was heaven sailing from her mouth, and all the fish in the sea, and giraffe saunter, and sugar in my tea, and the forgotten angles of love, and every name of the unborn and dead from this abuelita only glancing at me, before turning back to her earnest work of brushstroke and lullaby. And because we all know the tongue's clumsy thudding makes of miracle, let me stop here and tell you I said thank you.